0: SingleStore is a multi-use, multi-model database designed for transactional and analytic workloads, as well as search and other domain-specific applications. SingleStore is the evolution of the database company MemSQL, which sought to bring fast, in-memory SQL database technology to market. Jordan Tagani is CTO of SingleStore and joins the show to talk through the architecture and engineering of the SingleStore platform. If you're interested in sponsoring Software Engineering Daily, reach out to us at sponsor at com. We'd love to hear from you and bring your message to our audience. We reach over 250,000 developers per month. Jordan, welcome back to the show. Uh, thanks very much. Great to be here. The last show we did was on BigQuery a while ago, back when you were at Google, and now you're at single store, obviously. How does working on a uh, data warehouse system like BigQuery compare to a more comprehensive database system like Singlestore?
1: Uh, Great question. I think being at BigQuery and working on a data warehouse or a data platform that was really tilted towards analytics, it gave me exposure to sort of one side of the problem. And but the the overall database market is a lot is a lot broader and and you know where single store sits on the spectrum of sort of transactions and analytics is a bit kind of translated over from that, but I think you know a lot of the customers are the same, a lot of the problems are the same, and there's a lot of new new ones as well, so that's been actually pretty exciting is to sort of you know understand developers, understand applications a little bit better than than I had before
0: The transactional semantics of single store are significantly different than uh, that of BigQuery or a data warehouse can you talk about those differences
1: yeah sure so single store is, is a database that can do both transactions and analytics and you know as such you know you have we have there's a subset of customers that come from come from the transactional side and so i think there's a bunch of cases where somebody needs in their application they need to do something that looks like analytics. Maybe that's a leaderboard. Maybe they want to they want to show a, a dashboard. Maybe it's they want to react to data about what's happening in the rest of this in the system. And, you know, I think as people are building more and more rich applications, these kind of needs get come up more often. And I think one of the ways that you tend to see that is, you know, somebody will start with database like, like Postgres or MySQL, great databases, you know, work super well. But then they will start to hit, hit roadblocks. They'll start to hit hit scaling, scaling problems, kind of things that you can't do. And so then they start adding databases. They may add add Mongo because they want to do some, they want to do flexible schema, or you know, they need document database semantics. And then they want to do faceted search or full-text search. And so they they, they they move some of the data out to, to Elasticsearch. And then when you kind of put these pieces together, it tends to be slow. And so they add Redis on top as a cache. And then they want to do some some data science, and so they export it out to to uh, S3, and then run Spark over it. And you know each one of these pieces adds latency, you know adds adds complexity, adds something that can go wrong, adds you know potential cache problems, et cetera. And so having a single database where you can do all these things it um, makes your life a lot a lot easier. Sort of the single store approach is you know hey instead of all these databases you can just use single store. Single store has SQL distributed relational full text search, semi-structured, et cetera. So most of the, you know, most of these use cases, you actually don't need another database. And it's fast enough that you don't need to put a cache on top of it. And sort of that, you know, re- removes a lot of the complexity from your system as well as helps you scale. There's also people coming from the other side, which is they're coming from the analytics side. And if you come from the analytics side, you know, there's people that want to do. They want to do low latency dashboards. They want to do real-time analytics. They maybe do streaming, streaming analytics. And the fact that actually a lot of the times in even in an analytical system, you have things that look like transactions. You have things where you need, you know, you have data that's coming in quickly. You may have, you know, you maybe have things that are exposed to end users. So you need really high concurrency. Like data warehouses tend to not scale to tens of thousands of tens of thousands of users all, all hitting it at once. So you need something that can also kind of Looks more like an application database, or looks like a transactional database. Also, as people want to make more sort of not just reduce the latency of the you know the dashboards that they get, or the you know the recency of the dashboards they get, but they want to be able to make automated decisions. Well, if you make automated decisions, you really are going to have real SLA on on how far you can be you can be behind because if you're making decisions based on data that's too far behind, then you're going to be making making poor decisions. You know, for those kind of reasons, you also need something that can handle transactional semantics and analytical as well.
0: How much can you talk about the architecture of single store?
1: I can talk about a lot of it. I'm an engineer by training. I spent 20 years, 20 years as an engineer. You know, I worked on a lot of the, you know, pieces of BigQuery. I worked on windows kernel. Like, so I love talking about architecture probably more than I, more than I should have, I, than I should when, you know, talk to customers, et cetera. And I want to just sort of geek out on, on how things work. And to me, actually the the key thing about single store, I mean there's a lot of great things in, you know in single store, but kind of the key thing that that allows us to do these transactions and analytics in the same place, which often people say can't be done. you know sometimes we ask you know we tell people, hey, we can do transactions and analytics and they say, you know, I don't believe you. You know, Michael Stonebreaker said, this can't be done. Uh, I trust him over you. I was like, well, we've got the benchmark results to prove it, and they still say, well, we don't we don't believe you, but kind of if you understand the architecture, you can kind of see that it is, that it is possible, and it's it's related to our storage system. We call it universal storage. Actually, in fact, we originally called it single store, and that's kind of where we got the name for for single store. We used to be called we used to be called MemSQL, but we had this you know single storage engine that could handle both row store and column store, and so could do both transactions and analytics in the same place. And that's where we got the name. And Then we had to rename the the feature so that people didn't get confused with the name of the company. But anyway, the way it works is. You know, we started with this, you know, in-memory, very fast in-memory database. It was distributed, you know, it was, it was, you know, high availability replicated and it used, and it was a row store database uh, and it used skip lists, skip list index and skip lists, you know, the way it was built, it was, it was lock-free, you know, using lock-free kind of coding techniques and and that made it very, very high concurrency. So you basically could, could have lots of threads all hammering on the same thing without, without having to do any blocking and this lets us do a lot of updates very quickly so this really great in memory in memory database i think about as fast as you can make as you can make a database but then you need to add persistence and so you know we the typical way you add persistence in, in a database is you write to a transaction log and you know especially with you know the advent of of ssds you can do that very very fast so we basically you know all you have to do is append to a log and so you know then we had a an in memory database that could do because because we don't actually have to hit the disk for any reads, so we can still do kind of sub sub millisecond operations, and then you write you write write to the you know you have to write to the disk and you just append to the end of a transaction log or a replay log when you do updates, and then the next step and this is this is sort of where you know what enables us to do transactions analytics in the same place is you don't want to have to replay the entire log every time a node a node uh, restarts, so when we write out snapshots of the row store data. Instead of you know writing it out you know the same format, we transcode it into a column store. Column stores are generally very good at analytics because of the way they can compress the data. so you have to read less data the way you only have to read certain read certain columns. and there's a bunch of other tricks you can do in a column store so that you know you basically you only have to to read a very small amount of data. Now, column stores are generally bad for transactions because they're very hard to update. So if you want to update something in the middle of a column store, you basically have to rewrite you have to rewrite the whole file. And you know that's one of the reasons why a lot of the you know these cloud data warehouses tend to be not very good at doing updates. Um but so with single store when you want to do an update we basically just hoist the segment so the the the, the block of the file where you know that you updated we hoist that into the row store in memory. So now now the memory portion of it owns that owns that data and then you know basically we can do we can do very fast updates on that. Uh, lots of updates when that once that quiesces then we then we can write it back to the to the column store so to the user this is all is all seamless and it all happens you know under the, under the covers but but the the impact is that they can get fast fast analytics and fast transactions and we we built our own column store format because one of the other things you you need to be able to do to, to be a transactional database is you need to be able to to do fast point lookups and so if everything fits in memory, that's great, but often stuff doesn't fit in memory. So we have a, a basically seekable column store. So we have a hash index into our column store that lets you basically just go right to exactly where the data you, that you need is. And so, you know, that also helps solve one of the problem with, um, in, you know, generally data warehouses have a hard time doing point lookups because you have to read an entire block of data in order to find just the, just the thing that you're, you're looking for. So those are the two top tiers of our of our storage system. The third tier of our storage system is object store. so we'll we'll write to s three, GCS, Azure blob Storage, or Ceph or cohesity or MinIO if you're on-prem. And that allows us to get separation of storage and compute. It allows us to sort of scale to to you know petabytes, you know virtually unlimited, unlimited scale. It also allows us to do you know basically, restore the data as the, the table as of a particular time because we can we can store the uh, the full transaction log and then also it allows us to do separation of compute and compute where you can have two different compute clusters talking to the same to the same data an example of where this would be useful would be if you were using single store for your application you know as your primary application state that's one compute cluster but then you might be doing analytics in a separate compute cluster so they both kind of talk to the same data but there's no overlap in the resources, the hardware that's being used, and then you can also have other teams you know spin up spin up additional additional, we call them workspaces that allow them access to the underlying data.
0: When you have the multitude of underlying storage systems, it seems like it could lead to inconsistencies between the different layers. How do you resolve those consistencies or lock against them?
1: I mean, that's a good question. I think that's where a lot of the kind of the secret sauce goes in. You know, we have, uh, especially when you consider it's not just a, a single node instance, it's also a distributed system, then it gets, you know, all of that coordination becomes very, very difficult. We have a um, kind of a global versioning uh, system that's that we can use to basically resolve, to understand relative timing across the across the system. And then, you know, the the thing that actually helps when you're trying to to patch together the updated portions, the in-memory portions with the column store portions is it, it's not done on a row level basis. It's done on a segment level basis. So it's actually pretty easy when you're doing a query to basically skip over a segment from the column store and then kind of union that with the the data that's in the with that's in the row store. Now obviously it gets it gets trickier than that. And then you know, when you also have The data on on object store. But for the most part, you know, single store is built so that higher levels of the storage system, which are kind of the lower latency levels of the storage system, rarely have to wait on the on the lower levels of levels of the storage system. So most of kind of it's the protocols are all built so that most kind of time-intensive work can be done asynchronously behind the scenes.
0: So if I understand correctly, the there are I guess three places where you're storing a piece of data. Typically, it, there's a in-memory caching layer, there's a a database layer, and then there's like a bucket storage layer. Is that correct? Yes, that's one way. That's a good way to think about it. Okay, why do you need the the bucket storage layer?
1: So that's for two things. One is for kind of. Just general persistence, like if you want to, or durability. Generally, you kind of have a higher, a higher durability at that at that layer. From in terms of disaster recovery, you know things that can can go wrong. The other thing is you, you know, it enables us to do separation of storage and compute, so that you know we can actually blow away the compute cluster, which you know which includes the local SSDs, and then you know recreate it again, and basically. All of the data is still stored at that at the object storage layer. So you know, scale scalability, durability, and is also what kind of allows us to do. You know, the, as I mentioned, the separation of compute and compute, where you have multiple different compute nodes all
0: synchronizing against the
1: the object storage layer.
0: Okay. So, can you talk about what you a little bit more about what you use for those the caching layer and the database layer? Do you are those all custom written database infrastructure?
1: Yeah, so we built, you know, I, I think one of the one of the interesting things about, about a lot of the kind of databases these days, it seems that like there's lots of database companies and lots of kind of a proliferation of databases. And a lot of them, they sort of just take, you know, they'll take Postgres and rewrite the storage system or they'll, you know, or MySQL. And they'll rewrite a piece of it and then sort of to help it scale, to help it deal with, to solve some some particular particular problem. You know single store, you know, and MemSQL were really built from the ground up as a as a kind of a distributed in-memory database. So all this stuff we've 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 built ourselves. It's one of the reasons that it, you know, it's taken us a long time. You know, the, the company is is 10 years old in order to build these things. But you know, so we you know, we built our own, you know, our own hash indexes, our, our own column storage format, our own our own row store, our own, even our own RPC system in order to sort of really optimize the performance.
0: So if you want to build a search index against a single store database, what's the best way to do that?
1: Um, So single store has built in C, C Lucene and you know, we took C Lucene, you know, which is an inverted index. I believe it's the same thing that powers Elasticsearch. We ended up rewriting a bunch of it to, to work well with our, with our um, underlying, underlying infrastructure. So, you know, you basically can just, you can create a full text index on top of single store and it uses, and it'll use that C Lucene infrastructure. So you can do the same sort of full text search engine type queries, queries over all of the fields, for example, that you would do, you know, something like Elasticsearch. But, you know, you can do that also in a relational, in a relational database.
0: Okay, got it. Can you talk about the query semantics of single store? Uh, I guess there's a lot of different ways you can query the database. Does the, I guess maybe you could talk about how to optimize query semantics, or may, maybe talk about the the query parser. Or the just maybe maybe let's walk through the the architecture of of a query and the uh, the processing of a query.
1: So just one thing is, you know, single Store is is MySQL compatible, almost completely MySQL compatible. There's a lot of weird things and MySQL's been around for a long time. So there's a lot of like weird kind of cobwebs in the corners. And so we didn't necessarily implement all of those, all of those pieces. But, you know, in general, it's it's data type compatible with, with MySQL. It's even wire compatible with the MySQL, MySQL protocol. SQL has some cool things on the, on the query processing side. I tend to geek out about the storage side because I came from the storage world more recently than the kind of than the than the query processing world, but there's also some really cool stuff in the in the query processing and optimization. So there's one which is vectorization. So you know, kind of starting starting from the uh, the, the bottom up. But if you're reading from a column store, you know, you're generally reading a column a column at once, and the same you know the same field is is listed multiple multiple times. So it's actually pretty easy to do to use you know vector instructions from you know CPU vector instructions. Because what you have is a vector of a particular particular set of data, so we 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 so we do SIMD, you know, vectorization, you know, using the Intel instruction set, and and we'll we'll even do um, operate directly over the encoded data format. So we don't have to we don't have to decompress it. We can we can actually operate on the data in place. So that's that's one of the ways that we get we get good performance. The other thing that we do is we do query compilation. So if you have a complex query. Uh, you know, maybe your query is doing like computing some value, it uh, or you know truncating a date, etc. You know, we will instead of instead of interpreting that, we can compile that to uh, x86, you know, raw x86, so that we can so that we can execute that as as fast as possible. And then we cache we cache those query plans for so the next time you run that query. We don't have to we don't have to recompile it. It's already it's already there, and we can we can you know execute that at basically raw machine machine speed other kind of interesting things about about single store that you know they, so you know in a distributed database the hard the hard part is what happens if you you know one node needs data that's in that's in another location it happens a lot of the time you know generally the way you do that is you know either broadcast or shuffle you know broadcast is basically you take you take data and you send it to all the nodes. Shuffle is basically you put like with like, and you and you shuffle, you shuffle, you know things around. So single store can do both of those. You know, if you want really low latency, that's very hard to do. You basically have to have the data already where it needs to be. And so we have two ways of doing that. One is something we call reference tables. Reference tables is sort of like a pre-broadcast where where we basically make a copy of the of the of a certain table in every node, and that way when you run the query. There's already a hash table built on top of it, so you're you're able to basically operate that uh, do do joins with that with that table without having to do any data movement. Uh, the other one is co-partitioning, and you know this is you know it's a reasonably reasonably common common thing, but I, I think most of the, the data warehouses don't do this. Which is if you want to do a join on against two tables and they're both and they're both partitioned in the same way, then you don't have to do any any shuffling or, or any data movement because you can basically just You can just scan through scan through those on a single node. And in fact, if you have, you know, there's a single store lets you kind of lets you define a sort order as well. And if there's if the sort order is the same, then it's just a it's a very simple merge operation.
0: And is there ongoing work to to optimize the query system, or or does it does it feel like it's um, like it's already sufficiently optimized?
1: You can never get sufficiently optimized. Like there's always there's always something you can do. It's it's also what makes actually benchmarks pretty interesting is because benchmarks, you know, they, uh, you know, something like TPC-H, TPC-DS, you know, there's TPC-H, I think is 25 queries, TPC-DS is 100 queries. And each one of those basically requires the optimizer to do something hard. And, you know, so often, you know, companies, database vendors will kind of, you run TPC, TPC-H, and you're like, oh, everything is good except query 13, query 13 is terrible. And then so you figure out, okay, what is the, what is the optimization you need here and you know it turns out that you know you're not doing a push down in this in this case or you're not moving something be you know pushing it below the join etc you know there's so there's there's lots of different tricks and and to some extent you know people end up doing benchmark engineering where you know you basically you tune the optimizer to the benchmark and that's sort of when it doesn't work or when it when it works poorly you know I, I even have heard apocryphal stories of of a database vendor that I won't name that basically hard coded the query plans for kind of the TPC benchmarks into their query planner so that anytime they saw those they would kind of jump to those plans. You know, single server we we don't we don't do that, but you know we do kind of recognize that hey, there's some some of these queries don't work as well because you know maybe our optimizer is is you know we've got you know these 150 optim, you know optimizations or or. You know kind of tricks that we do, but we're missing a couple of the other ones. And so, you know, you kind of continue to crank through those. And some of those are from, you know, things that customers find, or some of those are, are things that, you know, are just sort of like it's sort of well known in the database literature that in order to solve X problem, you have to do Y. Um, and of course, in a just you know, I think a lot of the traditional database literature and and database optimization was designed around kind of single, single box single box databases, the scale up, scale up databases, like the old school, you know, or the Oracle, the, you know, MySQL, where the decisions that you'd have to make would data could be moved around a lot, a lot more easily. And then and trying to do those, trying to do some of those same types of optimizations in a, in an explicitly distributed world is harder.
0: Tell me about what goes into standing up an instance of a single store and, Maybe you can go into what elements of the database are partitioned from I assume every database instance is is partitioned, but there's a partition from other databases, but I imagine there's some economies of scale to running lots of databases across a single company hosted databases. yeah, I'd just like to get get a sense of what goes into an instance
1: sure um so you know single store has a uh you can use it in two ways you know one is as you know database as a service that's what we run on you know AWS Azure and GCP so you know to stand up as a single store instance you just you know you just you know go to the the single store website and you say you click on the size that you want and you you spin it up and you know very shortly you will have a a fully running single store database you know of the size that you of the size that you chose of course under the covers it's a lot more complicated than that. And you know under the covers we use, uh, we use Kubernetes uh, to manage our, our fleet of, uh, of single store instances and we do some bin packing of those of those uh, single store instances. but each one of those instances really is, is discrete so we don't do at this time we don't do any, any multi-tenancy. At some point in the future we may, we may do some multi-tenancy perhaps on a kind of a lower tier of, of service. But I think customers, especially enterprise customers, they get, they get grumpy if they're ever going to be operating, you know, if they're ever going to be sharing hardware with, with anybody else. And so we make sure not to do that. The Kubernetes operator that we use is, you know, we built a custom Kubernetes operator. We also ship that Kubernetes operator. So you can run single store yourself. You can run single store in, you know, via Kubernetes. You know, we have um, customers that are running thousands of single store instances inside Kubernetes. And, you know, that basically gives you kind of a higher level of abstraction. So, you know, when when a node fails, you can do X, Y, and Z, you know, to scale up, to scale down, you know, provide some of the uh, elasticity and ability to, you know, so for a for a company that wants to run on-prem or wants to run, you know, manage single store themselves, you know, they have the tooling and the ability to kind of manage manage a fleet of, of single store instances. Actually, one of the things we're adding very soon is the ability for those to then connect back to our control plane. So you get the same, you know, single store portal. So you can have your on-prem instances and your AWS or GCP instances all sort of managed in the same the same method and you know you can do the same sort of you know types of elastic scaling and you get the kind of the same new new features it is a distributed database so it is kind of harder to run than 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 just you know than just something like mysql we do have also to simplify that we have a docker container so there's a, a you know docker container for the free version so you can you can download the doc, docker container to your laptop you can just run single store on your on your laptop You know, running it on bare metal is a little bit trickier just because you need to set up, you know, there's a bunch of things you need to set up, but we've got, you know, tools and scripts to help you with that.
0: Cool. That makes a lot of sense. And has the economics of the deployment improved since you moved to Kubernetes?
1: Yes, I think so. We started on Kubernetes, kind of from the from the early early early-ish stages, from the early early stages of our of our cloud offering. I think if you're going to run a thousand single source clusters, having to manage those yourself is would be prohibitive without something like something like Kubernetes. You know, we did have you know our own set of tools for deployment and setup and configuration, et cetera, and we still support those, but. You know I think long term you know long term we see the world moving into to kind of a Kubernetes world just because it you know as I mentioned, it gives you a higher level of abstraction like I don't think in these days anybody wants to manage a distributed database themselves, like I think they want something like something higher level, something where they can say deploy, deploy on x nodes, scale it up to y nodes, scale it down when node failures happen, there's just you know there's already a basically a process for uh, and handlers for that rather than having to sort of do things more more manually and sort of the kind of, I I would say, the more pre-Kubernetes way of of doing things.
0: And can you tell me more about the, I guess, the internal infrastructure used to uh, manage and monitor single store databases? Like, you know, when you look at the cloud product, maybe you could tell me some about what the hosted services that you use are. To managing those single store instances and the work around platforming them,
1: we use Grafana for our our monitoring, and you know we provide we provide Grafana to, to customers who want to do who want to do monitoring. You know we have a bunch of integration with enterprise things like you know um, SSO and um, you know Okta, et cetera. I don't know what else we have we have beyond that. I think it's actually an area that we that we want to we want to invest in. And you know, I think being able to monitor your systems is important. It's important to be able to do it to do at scale. And a lot of the kind of initial things that we're doing is focusing that we can monitor and understand the systems that we're running and that we can automate those and make those make those work well. And sometimes what takes a second, you know, it takes a back seat to that is is building systems that then you know customers can use for for observability and understanding. Because so I do think that from the on-prem version, you know you want to monitor the low-level things. You want to monitor, you know, CPU utilization, you know, memory utilization. What happens when you run out of disk? Those those kinds of things. But on the managed service, you never want customers to understand those or even see those. And so you want to you want to basically translate things into kind of a higher level, higher level of of abstraction, so that you know customers understand, you know, stuck queries. They understand, you know, query volume. They understand the you know ingest pipelines. They shouldn't have to know or care about, you know, our disk utilization because our SREs should be, should be handling that.
0: Can you talk about the applications that people build on top of single store and particularly regarding the, the data layer, like, or in terms of like data intensive operations, I'd love to hear kind of a, a comparison to data warehouses and streaming systems, and I guess both from a performance level and uh, an API level.
1: Sure, I'll give a couple of a couple of examples. One, I, I can't always say the names of the companies that are doing them, but so one interesting one is um, is you know Fathom Analytics. They are sort of building a privacy sensitive alternative to to Google Analytics. They're a super interesting company and, you know, they started out a kind of ran into some limitations with, uh, with Aurora and they wanted an alternative, started using single store, found that it was great. And then they realized, you know, Hey, I don't need, I've got, I believe it was that they were using Elasticsearch. And I was like, Hey, I, I was using Elasticsearch for these one, these, these certain use cases. I don't need to do that anymore. I can use single store. They were using Redis because they, they needed a cache. They they got rid of Redis and the 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 founder of the company uh, Jack Ellis wrote you know a series of blog posts kind of going through all of his kind of decision making and why why he decided to to do this so you don't necessarily just have to take my word for it that like this is a pattern that exists and that's something that people need like I, I worked at a startup company before I you know before I went to Google actually that, you know was building something that was very similar it had like it had a data, you know a MySQL database sharded MySQL it had we wanted to do geospatial queries. So we used Solar, which is sort of a precursor of Elastic. We used Memcache, which is kind of a precursor of Redis. And you know, it was it was a nightmare to kind of keep all these things moving and working well together. I was the one that was working on this, you know, that that part of it. And, and so something like SingleStore would have been would have been great. So that's sort of on the data intensive application side. On the analytics side, there's a couple of different couple of different buckets. One is, you know, the fast dashboards. So we have just a number of customers, one very large computer company that doesn't like, you know, it gets really grumpy when you use their name, but they have an executive dashboard, does 800 queries per second. So first of all, like 800 queries per second is something that it would be prohibitively expensive on most, most data warehouses. They also, these all have to, to to succeed in under a second. And so, you know, they have an SLA of, of, you know, a very short SLA. And so they use they use single store and they started using single store actually for this workload. Because they couldn't find another database that would do this, and then they they started finding a bunch of other things that, like you know, single store we can use this as, in this other team. Single store we can use it. We can use it for this, this, and this. And I think every quarter for the last six quarters they've they've actually expanded their uh, their single store single store usage. It's definitely nice, you know, coming into the end of the quarter. Like we always <laughs> we see their their upsell. Also, a large ride-sharing company you know uses uses single store they also don't like us to use their to use their name but they they use it for market segmentation they have a 2 millisecond sla for segmentation and you know single store can can hit that 2 millisecond sla with, with better than 99% of the time another a major bank uses a single store for fraud detection on the swipe so it's on the swipe it's got a, it's got to return in in sub 50 milliseconds because the entire transaction can only take 200 milliseconds and they only have 50 milliseconds for fraud detection but the interesting thing about that is that that's a that's an analytic query so like the analytic query has to you know not just do a lookup or not just do a quick update but it has to use data about what's going on in the in the world to determine whether this particular transaction is fraud that's just a couple a couple different uh, examples of how people are using it
0: and why don't you use the the terminology of data warehouse like maybe you could talk a little bit about how from the olap side of things single store compares to a data warehouse like snowflake
1: sure so it's a great question you can use single store for data warehousing use cases and we have people that are that are doing that but you know if somebody is deciding between between snowflake and single store and they want and they want you know pure data warehousing they're going to choose snowflake so we, we we try not to like we try not to set up those uh, those comparisons. You know, they have they they just have a lot more features. They've been they have a lot more more analytics features, a lot more analytics ecosystem. There was one one large large hedge fund. The, the guy there was like, look, I really want to use single store, but all my data that I'm getting is is in Snowflake. And so it would have been difficult. Now on-prem, actually, we you know single store is a great you know we find that people are migrating from on-prem uh, data warehouses into into single store, some Teradata, Vertica, Natiza, cetera. And they do it as you know they do it on as like a two-step modernization. So step one is you move to single store and you can you can do that on on-prem. and step two, they move to cloud. And that way, you know you you don't have to do the you don't have to do all of the changes at at once, and often you know they have they have on-prem hardware, et cetera, that they need to depreciate, or they they you know, that they want to they want to continue to use, or they want to make sure it's low latency access to their applications, or it's behind their firewalls. So there's lots of reasons that people would want to use that use single store on-prem. I guess the last one is just you know I think that uh, you know even you know most of the cloud the cloud data warehouses you know the Redshift, BigQuery, Snowflake et cetera, don't even call themselves necessarily data warehouses anymore. They call themselves, you know, we're data platforms. You know, I used to talk about how, you know, data warehousing is not a use case and kind of what the, the people, what, what, what customers needed was something actually broader than just, than just data warehousing. And if you think about it as just sort of solving the same problems that you solved 20 years ago, then you were unnecessarily limiting what you could do with, the, with your data.
0: Is there work you could do over time to augment single store with like full on data warehousing functionality? Or do you think it's just prohibitive when you're trying to, if you were trying to do that much multi modeling?
1: Great question. I think in the fullness of time, we'll get there. One of the difficulties of sort of being, you know, trying to be this broad multi model database is that you don't want to try to be everything to everyone. And you have to you have to focus on on certain areas and and so you know we have decided not to push too hard against you know directly competing with with the, the data warehousing vendors. That said, a, a big use case you know one of our three main kind of motions is like is augment and sort of data warehouse augmentation because a lot of the time somebody is using a data warehouse or they're using a database and there's a subset of workloads. That are not fast enough. Maybe they can't land data fast enough. Maybe they need they need super high concurrency. Maybe they need they need really low latency. And so we find a lot of customers, you know, using kind of either you know a lambda architecture or you know land data in both in both places, where they landed in in single store because they can they can do the updates very fast and then they push the data back to to another another data warehouse. But you know we start out as sort of augmentation. In fact, augmentation. You know, when, so when I was at, at Google we were really really focused on like on big takeouts like taking out teradata taking out these kind of other big big systems and those are massive undertakings like you know you have to worry about you know, people have like you know 10,000 scripts that you know run against against teradata they've all sorts of applications and you want to make sure those things don't fall over they don't fail like and to try to do that all in one in one step is really really difficult. So I think, you know, the the better approach and the way approach single store is taking is hey, we're going to we will augment the thing that you're doing with something that will help you either scale better or get get better get a performance or latency or better kind of simplicity. And then over time, hey, if you like single store and it's working, you know, you may find that more and more more and more of your workloads, uh, you know, stay in stay in single store and you know, that is, it's also a, a pattern that we we see, you know, it is, you know, people find it more cost-effective than some other, some other systems, you know, sometimes people complain that other systems, you know, it's easy to have other data, cloud data warehouses are It's easy to have runaway costs, et cetera. And so, you know, single store is often a good option if you're concerned about your, your TCO.
0: As you look out across the, newer database market, I think some of the more innovative and successful databases I've seen are Rockset, Planet Scale, trying to think of others. And then there's, of course, a variety of newer data warehousing technologies like, I guess, Presto has really been productized by uh, Starburst, and you have Pinot being productized by StarTree. Tree. Are there any sources of inspiration that you take when you look towards the future of single store?
1: Absolutely. But I think we're we're trying to take our inspiration from customers rather than, rather than competitors. I think a lot of people are chasing the the sort of the decay of the data lake. You know, I think um, there was a time when everybody needed to have Hadoop. And if you want to have Hadoop, you have to have a data lake. And the data lakes, you know, quickly became a data swamp. You know, I remember when I was at Google, we had this customer advisory board with some of the execs, like the CTOs of Fortune 10 companies, like some of these biggest companies. And we were trying to sell them actually on the data lake idea. And it's like, what do you think about data lakes? And like that was the one thing that all these all these people agreed with was, oh my God, I hate my data lake. And like I wish I could get rid of it, or I wish I could. Like, and I think that as a it's sort of nice to have a dumping ground in a place where you don't have to worry about it and, it, and it's cheap, and I can store all my data there. But if you're not careful about it, then you know it just becomes it becomes a mess. And there's a bunch of tools that are you know data catalogs and and you know mechanisms for for sort of for dealing with that. And I think that you know we're seeing you know these query engines, you know things like things like Presto, you know being able to query the data you know where it sits, you know rather than have to to have a managed storage system. And I know that you know the databricks folks, for example, have you know they 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 talk about how great um, you know Delta Lake is because it gives you the advantages of a of a managed system with the with the kind of the cost and and um fungibility of a of a, a data lake. And kind of my, my view is that you know that the database storage or data warehouse storage managed storage system is strictly better than a data lake storage. I think that's because you know if you have control over you like a lot of the performance of a database is due to how the data is data is laid out and if it's the customer's responsibility for laying out the data then they're they're not going to do it right I mean it's something you have to sort of constantly constantly groom and maintain is sort of how your you know the shape of your data is for how the queries queries are being done so from a performance perspective if you have to give customers the you know, physical access to the data that also causes all sorts of all sorts of problems. You know, first of all, from a a governance and security perspective, it becomes very harder, impossible without you know bizarre hacks to do you know things like column level security and low level security. Like if I give you access physical access to to a file, I can't tell you not to read parts of that file. But also from a from a, just a performance perspective, like you know if you want to be able to do fast updates, for example. And you're giving people access to Parquet files, then it's going to be like you can't do the same sort of updates because you have to rewrite Parquet files each time. And so maybe you can have some other separate system, and they have to merge the system. But then you have a really complex, really complex client side, and then synchronization is hard. And like, there's just a bunch of stuff that that I, I feel like is sort of a, a hack in the data data lake storage case. But anyway, so I I believe strongly in in sort of The data warehouse or sort of data managed data storage is going to be the way of the future. But there's also certainly some interesting things in that kind of in the other side. And a lot of smart people believe that I'm completely wrong. And I guess we'll see. We'll see which one wins out in the end.
0: Well, that sounds like a good place to close off. Jordan, thank you so much for coming back on and sharing your broad wisdom.
1: Thanks so much. It's been a great conversation.